0: Welcome to Beyond Politics. I'm your host, Paul Hodes, with my co-host, political strategist, writer and consultant, Matt Robison. We're broadcast on WKXL, AM, and FM and 101.9 in Manchester. And we are podcast under the Beyond Politics banner, wherever it is you find your podcasts. Oh. As we barrel toward the midterms, the parties have poured hundreds of millions of dollars into delivering their messages to voters, and we're now entering each party's closing argument. We wanted to take stock of what we've learned from all of this, and there's almost no one we can think of better to do that than Doug Thornell. Doug is a partner at SKDK, one of the top strategic communications companies in the world. He's currently the head of its political advertising department and, by the way, one of the few black media consultants in Democratic politics. It was announced recently he'll be the new CEO of the company. National Journal named him to their recent list of 50 people changing the game in Washington and wrote that he is one of the most plugged in public affairs professionals in Washington, where folks there are a lot of public affairs professionals. Doug joined SKDK in 2011, and he served as a top advisor to presidential, House, Senate, and gubernatorial campaigns, Fortune 50 companies, and progressive and civil rights organizations. In 2020, Doug oversaw an advertising department that produced over, get this, folks, 800 ads. I'm not sure whether that figure from just one ad firm should make us all laugh or cry, but it brings a chuckle to me. Doug Thornell,
1: welcome to Beyond Politics. Thank you so much, Congressman. It's great to see you again and and great to be with you and Matt. So, you know, we can talk about this election
0: cycle and what the next 2 weeks will bring, but we actually wanted to take a step back with you and look at the bigger picture, the uh, the 30,000-foot view, because for a long time you've been one of the Democratic Party's long-term strategic thinkers. Now, I know that's a little bit oxymoronic in politics, long-term strategic thinking in the Democratic Party. Oh my goodness. So, tell us, what have we learned from the 2022 cycle about the challenges that the democratic party will face in the coming years
1: well so i think there are a number of things first and foremost is that the democratic party has an image problem and i and i believe they've had one for a while they have i think for you know for for many years republicans had a much easier story to tell cut taxes, cut regulations, tough on crime. Right? Very easy, very easy to understand. Now, doesn't mean it always works, but it's very simple. In an environment like this where you had a, you know, you know, people are very anxious about inflation, people are paying more money, crimes on the rise, you know, there's disenchantment with Washington. Their message is actually pretty much tailor-made for an environment like this. I believe that Democrats I think we have to I I think that we we have to do a better job of being able to tell people what we're for, who we stand for. And I think we have to be a little tougher. You know, I I think that there is what there is a whether it's legitimate or not, there is a perception problem with the Democratic Party among voters. And I think they believe we are. Now, the funny thing is, is a number of the people that I advise and work for Are some of the toughest folks I've ever met. I mean, Wes Moore, who's running for governor of Maryland, he served—he served this country in Afghanistan. He was a paratrooper. Mark Kelly, flew combat missions, an astronaut. You know, there are the there is a long list of Democrats who. You know, our vice president was a tough prosecutor in California. So my point is, is that. That it, it may not be a legitimate critique, but it is a perception problem that I think Democrats have to to understand and deal with that at the that voters, you know, that voters, you know, at the end of the day, I think voters want to vote for people who make them feel safe. And that is not just safe walking down the street. That is safe with their economic security. That is safe with their national security. That is also safe in their neighborhoods. And if we try to, if we, you know, if we're talking about a lot of other issues and not make voters feel safe with us as leaders, then everything else doesn't matter. It's just not going to break through, right? Like, I sort of equate it to how Republicans try to make appeals to people of color, in particular, Black voters around, say, like school choice and maybe some more conservative positions on some social issues, where maybe... There is some room there for where Black voters might be interested in hearing what Republicans have to say. The door is never really open, in part because Republicans, they have a very bad perception problem among people of color in general and specifically Black voters. So perception matters as much as we may want to say it doesn't. It matters. And I don't at the end of the day, we can have a long list of accomplishments and achievements and we can have an agenda and we can have all this other stuff. But if they don't think you're tough, and then if they don't think you're going to keep you safe, I'm not sure how much else matters. And so and that can be manifested in a lot of different ways. I think Democrats are very well positioned to make that argument, you know, because we are the ones who are standing up to the big to the big pharmaceutical companies, right? Cutting prices on, you know, trying to lower drug prices. We are standing up to the NRA trying to get guns off the street. We are standing up to Wall Street so that we don't have our, you know, our Social Security privatized there are there it's all there it's all there it's just we've got to put it together in a way that we aren't afraid to be tough
0: so so are, are you saying that democrats need ads that have us in camo posing posing uh, in tough guy stances and and uh, trying to out camo and outgun the republicans no i
1: think i actually think look that is a and i know you're not proposing that that is a a um You know, that is a distorted view of masculinity that I think Republicans have and toughness. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that people that there is ways to tell stories about what Democrats are doing that reassures that folk reassures folks that we got their back Mm -hmm. and you don't need to wear camo. And this is not about I'm sure I don't want anyone to misinterpret what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we need to get a bunch of, you know, we need to recruit a bunch of men or veterans or cops or no there're plenty of tough i mean like i worked for Chantel Brown in in ohio super tough you know like this is not a gender thing this is not even a uh, where people come from a from a professional standpoint this is more of a perception right and how you talk about things and who you stand up to and i think that is i think that is Where I'm suggesting that Democrats need to sort of lean into a little bit more and really talking about like, I'm not saying people want a mommy state at all or a daddy state, but what they do want is to they do want reassurances that that this person is going to look out for me and they will stand up for me and they're going to fight tooth and nail To make sure that my economic security is protected, to make sure my retirement security is protected, to make sure that my educate my kids education is not, you know, is not privatized, that like that Social Security isn't privatized, that we don't that these big interests who are sort of making everyone's life harder, that you've got a voice there. And that, I think, is a good contrast with where Republicans, the Republican position, which is, look, like we're going to turn the control over to all these different groups who don't have your interests at stake.
2: Well, I think we totally agree that the last thing the middle class in this country needs is a bunch of more Republican cosplaying chicken hawks dressing in camo and trying to convince them that they're the ones with backbone to represent their interests. Yeah, that's total phoniness. Interests.
1: It's all phony, right? Like, that's their, it's their view. That is what I'm, like, I think that they have, there's this, this crazy view of toughness that has always been, that manifested itself in, in Donald Trump. Right, right, um, exactly. And that's. Nancy Pelosi is the toughest person I know, and right. I know Congressman Hodes. You've you know her well. She's very tough. T- I mean, literally. That I don't know her well, but I worked in the House for multiple years, and she was the toughest person I know. And so, but she's not running around in camo, and but she, she exudes toughness in a way that. And so that's sort of where I think that <coughs> that Democrats need to. Your your big your big picture question was what do they need to do and what what are sort of the learnings and I think we have a perception problem Mm. I think we need to look at our message and make it simpler and I think we have to I think we have to be tougher I think we just just, have to be tougher and I just Matt I,
0: I sorry Matt I know you have a question I just wanted to anecdotally say that I came from nowhere in politics. And in 2006, my essential bu- bumper sticker was, I'm going to bring my backbone with me. Now, the language wasn't actually accurate, but the notion of bringing a backbone to Washington, D.C. was something that resonated with voters.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you're not saying it's not like you ran an ad which was like, I'm the tough guy that's going to protect you. No. No. You you'd use it, you, the language you use in the, in the slogans or, low, you know, the bumper sticker, it, it, it tells a story of what your values are and what you stand for. And so that's sort of where I think we need to be a little more, um, I, I, I think the party needs to sort
2: of look at a little bit more. So, if half the strategic challenge is the content of the brand and the message, and it involves something in the nexus of backbone and willingness to stand up for the values that the voters share, we're we're not kind of like the you know the image of of sort of the the pushover party, right? The other the other issue is is sort of the, the rapidly evolving media environment, which is a euphemism for we don't do things the same way that we did when when you and I were on. Capitol Hill. And as an incoming CEO of a major communications company, you must be thinking a little bit about that aspect of the strategic challenge and how how you're going to deal with the, the change in the medium. So where are you thinking about investing in either expertise or infrastructure, new ways of communicating message so that your political clients are going to be able to compete in 2 years and in 5 years. Yeah, that's a great question. And you know the media
1: landscape just in the last 15 years is looks totally different in 10 years and 5. And people are getting first of all people are you know they're 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 hungry for content and they get content served to them a lot of different places on your they on your handheld device, whether it's what you're looking watch what you're what you're looking at on, on Instagram or TikTok or Facebook, you know, on your computer screen, TV, right? So the way in which content is now delivered and how it looks is so much different. And I think uh coming up with I think it's it's going to be incredibly important for firms like SKDK and other firms to be to understand how the type of content that needs to be created and and how it needs to be served up. And we're moving more and more into a place where connected TV or OTT is, is a place where people are now living and digesting content, less so on broadcast, but broadcast is still very important and people are still running broadcast ads. The majority of television advertisements are still going to broadcast funds. But we have to understand in five years, that's not going to be the case, you know, and I think there's also the other thing that I think we need to be looking at is, you know, we is the importance of of social media influencers. And this is not just this isn't like just The Rock or, you know, or Kim Kardashian. This is also folks at, you know, Bowie State, which is near me in Maryland or Howard or Maryland students there who have a following, who have a following on TikTok whether maybe they're the head of the the local the college government whatever but those folks are are influencers in their own right maybe they don't have 100,000 150,000 followers but if you're trying to reach voters in those at those universities those are people that you're going to want to engage and and I think that's going to become more and more a part of the advertising program for, for campaigns as we move down the road, you know, and then also look podcasts like yours. I look, I, I had a podcast. I had about a, I, I did about a hundred episodes with my podcast. I loved it. As you all know, it's some, it's hard to monetize, but when you do get something that hits, you know, you get a real following and you get a devoted following and maybe you don't get, maybe you don't have 500,000 loads, but you do have people who are, Depending upon where you have the right listeners, right? People who are opinion leaders, people who are influencers, people who can drive a conversation, and so you're seeing more and more of campaigns and it, advertising on you know, you know, on podcasts, which I think is a you, you got to figure. it. That, gonna thing. listen. Yeah, look, folks, you heard it here first. Duncan yes, well, he advertise here,
2: CEO of SKDK. It has committed to a massive advertising package on Beyond Politics. Um, <laughs> uh, that's
0: that's fantastic. we're very grateful. We're yes. very grateful, Doug, for that. Well, guys, I, any
1: I, anything I can do, anything I can. But the the point is, is like the folks who tune into your your show, the folks who turn into like these a lot of these political shows. Those are people who are they potentially are going to be people who can help drive conversation. So you're seeing podcasts, just sort of audio. Um, you know just streaming audio in general is uh, is 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 growing more in leaps and bounds and so there are I would say look, OTT and connected TV, and you're starting to see more and more of those platforms move to a place where they can have, where they can run ads. Um, I believe Mm. Netflix just announced that you're seeing the media influencers out there, you know, what maybe even if they're micro influencers, but if they can reach a target audience that you want, that's going to be big. And, and then I'm a big believer in streaming audio. You know, I think like, I I think while there are still the numbers to justify doing radio and particular communities listen to terrestrial radio, there are a lot of people who removing, you know, who have moved to streaming audio. And I think that's a that's a place that we're gonna do more and more of.
2: For our advertisers on WKXL, I want you to listen to the first part of Doug's last sentence. All right, Paul. Yeah.
0: And and yeah. so. I have been, you know, I went to Congress in 2007 to 2011. I was there for President Obama and helping getting him elected and his first State of the Union address where someone rudely shouted out, you lie. And we thought a lot about the polarization of the parties back then. It has certainly been amplified and it has continued from that time, which is now 15 years ago to today. And It's extreme. We thought it was bad then, but never anything like this. What happened? Where did it start? Is it all because of Donald Trump? Is it because of some natural progression? Is it because of social media? Is it is it because of global chaos? What how did this happen?
1: Wow, that's a that's an episode on its own, Congressman. It's a great question. And I've thought a lot about this and I have my my theory. I have some theories. And so basically, I think what happened, I think there was I think in the last 22, 20 years, let's say call it 20 years, there has been a breakdown across the board and trust by the public in major institutions that used to have trust. And I think you could point back to the Bush-Gore decision in 20, 2000, where the faith in the Supreme Court was eroded. And then I think you move to September 11th and, two, and what happened then. And there was a I think there was just among the, I think among the country, there was this sense that like a real vulnerability that I think we hadn't felt before in a while because of what happened. And then obviously the prosecution of the Iraq war and how, and how that sort of really ended up going sideways in the, in the mind of the public and a lot of the lies to justify the Iraq war. And then you go into Katrina and people watching their neighbors, maybe across, maybe halfway across the country, but everyone's—I believe everyone's a neighbor in this country. But you watch these folks who are left being left behind, right? The whole everything, everything broke down in Katrina, and and then you go. You know, then you go into a period of time where I think there was a hopefulness around Obama and, you know, I think Obama's term, when we look back on it, his two years will be viewed in a extremely positive light. He's already the most popular Democrat and he got a lot done. And I think in hindsight, the, the you know, he was graded much tougher than I think maybe other presidents. But I think as you look at sort of the the sort of the institutional breakdown in trust that the American people had in these important institutions created a vacuum and an opening for, you know, for, for there to be a much, you know, I think a, a very significant partisan divide where there was no, there were no referees on
2: the field anymore. And can I actually follow up on that point? Because I, I, I personally, I think about this a lot as well, but without sort of your lens of expertise that, that you bring to it. And I mean, part of the discontinuity, I think, dates back to Newt Gingrich and his realization that there was no penalty for extremity in in your rhetoric. But you didn't really see that sort of start to blossom until you saw the fracturing of the legacy media and the rise of social media. And, And so just to kind of follow up on your last point, it seems to me that it used to be that communications experts like you used to sit in rooms with campaign hacks like me, and I would say, you know what I want to do? I want to call our opponent a terrorist. What do you think? And the Doug Thornells of the world would say, Matt, you can't do that because you'll get blowback from normie voters who will think that that's too extreme. And the major difference, this kind of goes to my question earlier about the medium being part of the message. It feels to me, like the, the the major difference is that the 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 falling apart of the major broadcast networks the major ways that we would communicate to voters and the rise of social media and these very narrow casting channels to voters meant that, You could get away with much more than you ever could before. Now you're narrowcasting to people you know are already with you with messages that there's no downside to being as extreme as possible. And I see this most of all in fundraising email where, you know, if you get fundraising emails, I mean, people are saying terrorists and far worse about their opponents. That's my pet theory. What do you make of it?
1: Yeah. I mean, look, there are no, I mean, that's my point. There are no consequences anymore. Right. I mean, like- Right. There was a time maybe 10 years ago where if an ad was you would do an ad and then you'd get a fact check and like the fact check was like would move around and it meant something and maybe the ad would actually be taken down. And now no one really, particularly on the right now, no one really cares if the ad is if if is if it's false, if it gets taken down, but down, they'll just put up a new version real quick. Right. Like there's no consequences to 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 lying and to, you know, putting forward a a false narrative, a conspiracy theory. In fact, you're rewarded by it because to your point, Matt, a lot of these, a lot of these, a lot of these campaigns, they're raising a big chunk of their cash through their online email fundraising program. And it is in their interest to be as, as, you know, as explosive and as, you know, I think as like, sort of as sort of partisan, as partisan as they can be, because they're going to raise more, they're going to raise more money. And I think, especially on the, on the right, you have people who will say just about anything because, you know, the more they, when they go on and then they go on, they'll, they'll, they'll go on Fox news. They'll say something totally outlandish and they'll fundraise off of it. And so there, but there are no, there are no real consequences anymore. And, and just, let me just finish my, like the chain of events you had in 2000 you know you had 2008 you had obviously the financial crisis and people just sort of felt like completely lost faith in banks and and so you had like these 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 sort of one thing after another where people just it left voters susceptible to people saying don't trust what they're saying and that's what you know especially on the right in their entire misinformation campaign Is that they they're telling their voters like you can't believe the news media because, you know, the news media is controlled by liberals. So whatever they're saying is not true. You can't believe doctors. You can't believe X, Y and Z. Right. Don't believe it because it's not true. And these folks have for years and years they've been through. Everyone has been through these experiences where these these institutions have left them down. And 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 so it's not necessarily a hard argument to make to say, hey, don't listen. Don't even believe your own eyes right <laughs> these people are you can't trust them you you get they're liars and trust what i'm saying and that's where and that is allowed for a lot of these crazy conspiracy theories and arguments to be put out there
2: and there's no one checking it <laughs> You know, Paul, I think we should give a little programming note here that we have audaciously booked one of the busiest human beings in America during the height of election season to ask him a whole bunch of step back questions about the overall political trajectory of America instead of focusing on the thing right in front of our face, which is the midterm elections. We committed to your colleagues They're at SKDK that we would not keep you too long. So, Paul, why don't we why don't we get out on kind of a midterms focused? Yeah, yeah. I'm happy to stick around. okay, cool. Oh, great. Great. All right. When they yell at us, when they yell at us, though, I'm gonna I'm gonna send them to you. I think I got ten minutes. All right, go, Paul. Over to you. Okay, so
0: let's take a look at this cycle. We, yeah. we all know the 538 projections, the election meters, the Cook ratings. You're the ultimate insider. You're watching the ad traffic and the polling data, and you 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 walk around Washington, D.C. with your ear on the sidewalk, and people are calling you all the time and telling you what's really going on. So what indicators are you going to be looking at in the next two weeks to get a sense of whether things are going in a good direction for Dems or not because we're kind of hearing that things are now not going so well for Dems and and what advice do you have for people who want to want to look at at the data and want to look at where things are going how can how can people watch more like a pro
1: yeah it's a good question i mean i, I feel like we're at the place in the campaign where i mean the polling Look, look at it if you want. I obviously consume polling. But at this plate with two weeks out, around two weeks out, really, there are just not a lot of persuadable voters left. So I think what campaign I think it's I think campaigns really got to be focused on how do they turn out their voters right now. I look at of course, I look at the national generic polls. They don't really Tell you as much as you need to know about what's going on in individual house races or even senate races, but they're good to look at to give a to sort of get a atmospheric diagnosis of things and and we're seeing that it's sort of a mixed bag right now. You know, I mean, there was a an NBC poll came out that had it sort of neck and neck, but some of the question some of the results in there look pretty favorable for Dems, and you know they go back and forth. and And my view is that. This race, if you were to ask me a year and a half ago, that heading into the election, that all of these close Senate races would be within the margin of that Democrats would have had would have a chance to keep the Senate, and that in these House races, all of them are super close. I would have said you're crazy, like you're crazy, because historically this should be a wipeout for Dems. The infl- yeah, the, obviously, the, the inflation numbers aren't great, even though the economy economic numbers I think are. Pretty, pretty good. But inflation, people feel that gas prices, they see it. Right. But if you look at where things where we are today, the Republicans haven't been able to knock us out yet. We're still standing. We're going into the last two weeks of this campaign with a real shot in a lot of these Senate races. And that's all you can really ask for. And the reality is, is it could our situation for Democrats, we could have been dealing with a very tough Senate race in Maryland if Larry Hogan had got in. You know, if John Sununu had gotten into the Senate race in New Hampshire, who knows how that would have looked? That didn't happen. They had some real recruitment failures. And and some of the people that they nominated are so extreme and dangerous and have no business representing the state they're running for or, even, or being in Congress. And that goes down the line from Pennsylvania to Georgia to Arizona to New Hampshire. You know, I think that candidates do matter. And we have some really strong Senator Hassan, Senator Mark Kelly, Raphael Warnock, they're all running really good campaigns and they're all going to be really close. And they all met, you know, this congressman, you know, this, they were always going to be close. And these are, this is like the 11th round of a 12 round boxing fight. It's been going back and forth and Dems didn't have a great last couple of weeks, but you know, the two weeks before that, you could say that we had a good week and look, it's how you close. And it's how you, and, 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 and I think don't get too consumed with the polling because at the end of the day, you know, there's not much in terms of the polling is going to go back and forth. And I do like to look at early vote numbers in, in different states. They're not always a great indicator, but it does. It's good. To, it's it's one of those things, if you're asking me what to look look at that. I do also like to look at how ad spending is, is showing up in these different places, because Republicans did have an advantage in ad spending total for the last couple of weeks. I think the last the next couple of weeks, you'll see that shift. Does that make a difference? I think it probably makes a little bit of a difference. So yeah, I mean, I think those are some of the things that I look at. I don't, I sort of take the generic head to head with a grain of salt, but I do look at like some of the issues that are driving intensity, enthusiasm numbers, another thing that I think is important to
2: look at. You know, you just said the best darn thing that we've heard on this show in weeks, which is look, all you can ask for as a candidate in this kind of environment is putting yourself in a position to win and that, that's, that's your whole job as a campaign. Right. That's your whole job. You can't control the environment. You can control what you can control. I live this. I think you were, were you at the D trip in the 2012 cycle when I, I was managing, I was managing the John Tierney race. We were down right. polls were showing that yeah. we were down anywhere from five to 10 points. And John was saying to me the day before the election, are we about to get smoked? And I said, it, it, it's possible. It's possible. All we could control was putting ourselves in a position where if things broke the right way at the very end with your ad spending and the general environment, you could catch a little bit of a breeze, eke it out over the finish line. That's right. And that's maybe that's what we're going to see. Or, all you can or, ask for.
0: or as Rahm Emanuel said to me in 2006, he called me up and said, Paul, I just ordered a seven figure ad buy on boston tv don't f it up and that and that was about that was the best that was the best advice that anybody gave me and uh, you know we were able to we were able to eke it out because i didn't f it up and that's about all a candidate can do
1: and that's all you can do you got to be in the last two weeks be in a position to win be up three deep be down three and i think you're seeing that in a lot of these races And, you know, I mean, I think Democrats, the fact that we're in this position, I think, tells me that the Republican argument against us, you know, hasn't knocked us out yet. And that people have really strong doubts about the character and values of a lot of the Republicans who are running, even in an environment. And and it's causing them to take a close look at the the Democrat, because even in an environment where they should be doing a lot, they should be, they should have, this should be done. In, in my estimation, like they they should have if you believe all the prognosticators, at the beginning of the cycle, then we shouldn't even be standing around. But we are. And we have and a lot of that has to do with the campaigns that our candidates are running. And it also has to do with the Republicans that were nominated. And right,
2: I feel super buoyed by this. And you know what? We're not going to top that feeling. So let's get you out on this because you are going to have more to do than just about any other single individual with how we stand after election day that that anyone else we know. So go back to doing that. (laughs) Doug Thornell, incoming CEO of SKDK. Congratulations again. And thanks so much for being with us on Beyond Politics. Thank
1: you, guys. And can
2: I ask you a question? Do I have time Of course. Oh, no. The clock is yours, man. Okay.
1: Tell me about New Hampshire. I mean, you guys are right in the middle of it. You got two, uh, two, two close yeah. congressional races, <laughs> Senate yeah. race.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, so, so the reigns so, of Castamere is playing at Don Boldock headquarters after Mitch McConnell knee him by pulling all the ad funding. Five
0: point eight million dollars <laughs> gone. Whoop,
2: good, goodbye. Yep. So that uh, that's good. That's good. Okay. That's a um, good sign. I don't know what are you seeing.
0: Well, over I'm on a... the first, over on the first district, it's a pretty interesting race. The former president, the great orange Cheeto, just weighed in for his former staffer, young young woman, Karen Levitt, who's very presentable. She's a big lie advocate, but everybody says it's going to be really tough. The first district is always tougher for Democrats. Chris Chris Pappas has tried to follow a kind of moderate moderate course trying to say I'm really a little independent from Dems, but that's a very close race. I think the race over in the second district is better for Dems. Annie Custer has had a pretty good lock on the seat that I held for, for a while. And I think Maggie Hassan is going to win. I think it's going to be a lot closer than Democrats are crowing about. I think, I mean, this could be a three-point, it could be a three-point victory. But given that she won her last race for her first term by 1,100 votes, if she can get a three-percentage-point victory over the retired brigadier general who's flip-flopping like a bad fish out of the water, then
1: she'll say, well, that's real progress. I'm doing pretty well. Well, look, at the end of the day, it's just about that W, right? I mean, right. however you get it, if you it, 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 whether it's by 10 percentage points or 0. 0.5, you know, it's that's the most important thing. So, well, that's reassuring. I feel I feel better now,
2: now you made us feel better. So this is great. This is like the happiest. Hey, look, you, got, you know,
1: my, was, you got to go into election. You got you can't just be like, oh, woe is me. We're going to lose, blah, blah, blah. Do you ever go into if uh, it, it, I never went into an athletic contest thinking I was going to lose. No, you go in thinking we're going to win this. And, you know, I, like, got to You got to just you got to you got to feel good. You got to make sure you don't get blinded by your own optimism, figure out different things that you might be doing differently. You should do differently. But like, come on, like we're going to we got time to play left.
0: T- time to play some Bruce Springsteen blinded by the light and just and go for it, Democrats. Come on, people.
2: <laughs> and for people yeah. who don't know, Doug was an accomplished football player. Cornell, right? Cornell, that's right. Well, yeah. There you go. I, All uh, right. Okay, guys. So much yeah. for 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 lifting everyone's spirits. And we're going to have to have you back to talk about the big picture again once we're through all this current, hopefully, uh, pleasantness. Love to, love to. Thanks so much. Thanks so me. much.